four sermons out of Ephesians 1. I think we're going to go a little bit faster with the rest of the chapters in Ephesians. But uh, we're on Ephesians 2, and, and uh, uh, I was going to say Elaine. Leanne, oh, yeah, she's in the back. She read it very eloquently for us in her British accent, um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And uh, there's a quote from one of the most important theologians in the history of the church. His name is Martin Luther. Who knows Martin Luther? Right? Uh, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the theologian, you know, the one that uh, started the Reformation. He's the most important figure in the Reformation, and he was pivotal in the formation of Christian thought and proper doctrine for the church today. And Martin Luther says in this quote, I want to read it to you, The law is divine and holy. Let the law have his glory, but yet no law be it never so divine and holy, ought to teach me that I am justified and shall live through it. I grant it may teach me that I ought to love God and my neighbor, also to live in chastity, soberness, patience, but it ought not to show me how I should be delivered from sin, the devil, death, and hell. Here I must take counsel, counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teacheth me. They said weird things like teacheth back then, which teacheth me, the gospel teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me, to wit, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it, and this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's actually a quote from Martin Luther. It says, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the principal article, is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. It is the truth that qualifies all of the other truths that we believe in, and Martin, Martin Luther tells us that I ought to beat it into your heads continually. And uh, I plan on doing that. As we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we see Paul present to us the heart of the gospel. And he starts it off with the true condition of mankind. He starts it off with the true condition of man. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And I believe that Paul starts with this because we have to understand our true condition. We have to continually understand and realize the true condition of man. In order for the gospel to make sense, we have to understand our condition, our fallenness, our sickness. And I believe that what keeps people from truly understanding and putting their hope and faith in Jesus Christ is this. It's a lack of the understanding of the true condition and the true nature of man. It's a lack of understanding of their utter sinfulness. Because without a proper understanding of what we, where we started, we will never truly understand what, where we have been delivered to. If we don't fully know how jacked up we were, we will never value and cherish what we have now become. 
what we are now living in. It's like a before and after picture, right? You look at like somebody like like Rian, right, over there as an after picture. He's like, oh, it's all right, right? But then if you saw me as the before picture, you'd be like, dang, right? Like, what happened, man? It's a miracle, right? Unless we know our fallenness, we will not truly understand the gospel. Gospel is good news, yes? But without a proper understanding of our true condition, our true wretchedness, it just becomes news. And if we don't fully understand an understanding of our initial true condition, our spiritual lives will remain shallow. Our convictions will remain shallow. And the way that we look at sin and the way that we look at God will remain shallow. So this is very important. Paul starts out this this passage, and he's talking about the gospel, and he starts out by saying, dude, we were dead. When we share the gospel to people, they have to truly understand where they are being saved from. But a lot of times we feel shy about talking about people's sins, right? Like, like oh, no, I could tell you about the love of God, but it's really, it's like it, we feel shy about talking about their sinfulness. It's hard to tell someone that they're a sinner. But you can't save them from hell if they don't understand their sin. If they don't understand that sin has set them on a collision course to hell, that the life that they live, no matter how moral and no matter how like like nice that they want to live their life, it's still headed to hell. They're just being really nice and sweet and kind as they get there. The fact is, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses. Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were spiritually dead. And we live in a physical world and we have our physical bodies. But we will know in our bodies, we know that like, you know, like they're made of dust. They will eventually start to decay and, and they'll start to, to, you know, get old and stop working, right? Some of you college students, you guys feel invincible, right? Right now, who's a college student? You guys be like, da-da-da, I could do anything, right? Homeboy right there, you could do anything, right? You're young, right? You guys are young. You guys are gifted. You guys are talented, right? But then we will all be 40 one day. Right? I'm already 40. We will all be 50, 60, 70. There will be a day when our bodies fail us, and we will all experience physical death. You know, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. But you see, beyond this world, there is a spiritual world. There is a ex- ex- spiritual existence. And this spiritual existence is eternal. Everybody say that word, eternal. God is a spirit and he is eternal. The Bible tells us that God is spirit. Spirit and light. And this world will pass away, but God will not. And God's ex- eternal existence will not pass away. It will be forever. And while God brought man into this existence, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, eternal existence with him, man fell away. Man sinned. And we were separated from God. Not only were we separated from God, but we were we became spiritually dead. And in our spiritual deadness, there is nothing that we can do to revive our spirit. A dead thing can't will itself back to life. We saw a dead cat on the way to church today. It was pretty gross, sorry for the imagery. But it really was very, very, very gross, right? We were going by and Mina was like, ah, she grabbed my arm. I was like, what? And I saw the dead cat and I was like, oh. It was like flat and it was all this blood. It was really bad, right? 
Well, that cat, no matter how much that cat wants to live, it cannot will itself back to life. It's dead. It's basically dust. It's fertilizer. It's going to just start to decay, get all maggoted and everything. And it's just, poof, one day, like sometime in the future, poof, it's just going to disintegrate. That's like our bodies, right? And that is like the spiritual death that we were living in. There was nothing that we could do to bring back our spiritual life. We have to understand spiritual death. There is nothing that we can do to become spiritually alive. And we were all on a collision course with eternal death and hell. And you were dead in your trespasses, in verse 2 it says, which you once walked following the course of this world. The world that we live in is on a course. right? And when you get on a cruise ship, and you're headed to like Aruba, right? You're gonna get to Aruba. Right? You can't like be on a cruise ship with like thousands of people. And all of a sudden, you know what? I want to go to Hawaii. No, you're gonna end up in Aruba, right? And in the in 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 the same way, in the fallen man, we are on a course. We're on a course of this world. This world is on a course, and where it's headed to, we have to ask, well, who is the captain of this world? Who is steering the ship? Who is like ruling this world? Who is, you know, like the, the captain of the ship of this world that is headed on this course? And it is Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus says in John 14:30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Paul talks about it in the passage we read today. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the, of the powers of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Powers of the air is talking about the demonic powers, right? And the demonic, satanic spirits at work in the world today. This world, with Satan as its ruler, is going to get worse and worse. And as we get closer to the end times, you know, if we read the Bible correctly, the world is going to get worse. It's going to seem like it's getting better, but spiritually it's going to become more and more dead. The Bible talks about a harlot in Revelation 17. A lot of people call it the harlot church or the prostitute. Right? But it's talking about the, an actual church that comes up that has been deceived by the world so much that he actually starts to, 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 to equate the world, right? The, all of the worldly things as godliness. And, and, and it will do what it says not to do in James 4.4. 4. It tells us that you adulterous people, do not, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world chooses and becomes an enemy of God. And there will come, as the, as the end times approaches, the, the world will become more and more like enjoyable in a sense. And it will be like, like, you know, like better, it seemed like, but it's actually spiritually more dead and dead and dead. And there will actually be a church that actually comes up. And people will be deceived. People will think that they're believers. But they'll be believing in a lie. This is, the, this is the collision course that this world is on. The world with, the, with Captain Satan at the helm is on a collision course. It's death. And these demonic, satanic, spiritual forces in the world is continually causing evil to be considered good. We see it all around us. And we see it in the world way that so much of the world is like accepting things, like evil things as good. The things that the Bible teaches as bad as, as good. 
and it's and it's headed to hell. The world is ruled by one who knows where he is headed, and he's trying his best to take as many of he possibly can down with him. Because this world will pass away. And all of mankind is destined to end up where all is, this is headed. It's hell, and it's because of one thing. It's because of sin. There's sin in us, in all of us. And just like you can't jump off a cruise ship in the middle of, a, of, a, of, a, of its course, you can try, right? You just, you can't, you know, you, you can't just, just save ourselves. That which is sin can't unsin itself. As a matter of fact, we have, the Bible says we had a mind and a body that was set on living out our lives in the ways of this world. It says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the trust, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's part of our nature. The nature of our original, like the, the original, like the, the, the condition that we talked about was, our nature was to naturally go along with the ways and the path of this world. The thing is, it feels natural to be on the course of this world. When you live in a life without God, it feels natural. It feels normal. Who's lived a life, a big chunk of their lives without the Lord? Raise your hand. And didn't it feel normal? Didn't it feel like you were just doing life? I'm not talking about the criminals and the rapists and all these crazy people, right? I'm talking about your everyday, trying to live a moral life, unbeliever. Life, this course that they are on, feels natural. It feels normal. It feels like the thing to do. Living in the passions of our flesh, being by nature children of wrath, it actually feels normal. But this natural feeling, going with the flow of this world, living it up, trying to get mine and, 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 you know, although it doesn't feel like sin, although it doesn't feel like wrath, is all where it's all headed to hell. It's all headed to eternal death, eternal damnation. The enemy is a liar and he's good at it. He is a king of lies. He is a father of lies, the Bible says. Satan only power is lies, right? And he lies very well. The biggest lie that Satan tells the world is that God doesn't exist and neither does the eternity. Right? He lies that God doesn't exist and eternity doesn't exist. But Satan knows that eternity exists because Satan has eternal life. Who knows that Satan has eternal life? Right? Satan has eternal life. He just has one that is eternal punishment and eternal damnation, weeping and gnashing of teeth lake of fire from which there is no relief. That is his eternal life. right? Brothers and sisters, every human being has eternal life. We all have eternal life. It's whether how we're going to spend our eternity that's in question. But we were all on a course of this world. We were headed to an eternal separation from God. Everything that is God, love, you know, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, justice, righteousness, all of the good things of God we will be separated from and we will have eternal death and eternal damnation, eternally with, with everything that is not God. And there was nothing as man we could have done to change this course. Absolutely nothing. 
Who's heard that ACDC song? I'm on a highway to hell. You guys know that song? Well, that's what we were on. We were on a highway to hell with no exit ramp. We just could go straight. But God. Everybody say amen. amen. But God. These two words, I believe, is the greatest two combination of words in the Bible to describe the gospel. But but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with it which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one may boast. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. This was all initiated by God. Man's sin was separated with God, but God, because he is merciful, because he is kind, because he loves us, because he is for us, chose to save us through his son. This is the heart of grace. And this is where the supernatural power of the gospel comes alive in us. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's a gift. It is not a result of works. So no one should boast. I memorized this verse when I was a kid. There was a song. For by grace. Do, 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 do. Anybody know this song? I've been saved through faith. Do, 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 do. Not of yourself, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. No one should boast. Ephesians 2 at night. I'm saved to the end of the time. I'm saved by His grace. I'm faithful. That was a song, right? I still remember that song. I, I, that was like in the 80s, so you guys were not even alive then. Um, I memorized that verse, but the one thing that comes out is it's a gift. Grace is a gift. It's a joy knowing that there was nothing that we could have done to be saved. But God not only saved us, but raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, we might show he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Not only does he gift us the salvation, but he says, dude, you're going to like, you're going to unite, you're going to. Know the full riches of this, this glory that I have for you. It's a gift. Salvation, you know, it, it's a gift. There's, there's some things that you, things that you can't get. The only way that you're going to get it is if it's gifted to you, right? Like an engagement ring, right? You can't, the only way that you can get an engagement ring is if it's gifted to you, right? You can't buy a diamond ring, put it on, and like somebody like, oh, are you engaged? And you're like, no, right? Where's your fiance? I don't have one, right? It's, it's not a stuff being an engagement ring. That's because you wear it there and it's the diamond doesn't mean it's an engagement ring, right? There are certain things that can only be gifted to you. Salvation is not like practical gift that you can get for yourself, like socks and underwear or a mop. You know, it's like it's like the ring. But even if I had all the money, I can't buy myself an engagement ring. And in the same way, we could do all of the moral and right things in life. We can't earn salvation. 
But God, in his mercy, gifted it to us. His gift of eternal life by grace through faith. By us putting our hope in him. How amazing is this? I'm supposed to beat this into your head continually. How amazing is this gift? How amazing is grace towards us? Because this is a source of resurrection power. Understanding the gospel and what was done for us is a source of resurrection power in us. It is a spark that propels us into godly living. This is a source of the power that transforms us into the likeness of Christ. This is a power that sanctifies us. This is the source of the power that helps us to truly love. Even our enemies, even the ones that, that annoy us, even the ones that persecute us. This is the power that helps us to leave the one, leave the 99 and seek out the one. This is the power that when people say all kind of lies against us, we'll be able to turn the other cheek and love them back. This is the power of God for the saints. When true persecution comes, and it's life or death, they can hold fast to the faith because this is truth in their lives. I am saved by grace through faith. And it's an amazing gift. There is power in this. You guys understand. There's a power in this to transform our lives. Beat this into your heads. Beat it into your heads. Never think that you get past the gospel. That's elementary stuff. No, it's fundamental. The difference between elementary and fundamental means, elementary means simple. Fundamental means necessary. Fundamental means if you don't have this, you can't succeed. Fundamentals of basketball is dribbling. If you cannot dribble, you cannot play basketball. There is no getting over and getting past the gospel. Brothers and sisters, never lose sight of the importance of the gospel in your life. You're saved by grace through faith. Because if this equation is true in your life, your life will change. I guarantee you. Meaning if your faith is real, if you really have faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you, that will transform your life. The power of grace will take effect in your life and will start to produce fruit and produce life and produce things in your life that God has intended. We read about this in verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by doing good works, but we are saved to do good works. Having been saved by grace, we become God's workmanship. The definition of that word in the Greek is that which has been made. So we become what God has made, what what He has intended for us to be. Do you guys get that? When we become His workmanship, we become what He has intended for us to be, what He has made us to be. I see this image of a tool that's broken. Right? Imagine a sword that's broken. Right? What good is a broken sword? What do you do with a broken sword? You know, what do you do with a broken knife? I broke a knife one time. I tried to cut something. I thought I was really strong, and snap, it broke. There's no use. I'm just all, I, all it's good for is, is garbage. I just threw it away. But imagine if you had a sword and it broke. But imagine the blacksmith sees his sword and he loves the sword. So much so 
that he, he, he takes it and he melts it down. He melts it down into, into liquid and then he pours it and he shapes it and he pounds it back into the shape of a sword. He works at it for hours. He works at it for days. He heats it up again, pounds it again. He sharpens it. He polishes it. He puts a handle on it and he, he gets it all together and then he, he returns it to its glorious original intent. And he takes that knife and that knife, that sword now has a purpose. There's a purpose to that sword. And us as man, as we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good work for His purpose. But the, here's the thing. God sets the order. You are not doing all these things to become something, but because of who you are, you do these things. The good works flow from your identity of who you are. And that identity comes from the gospel. The gospel alone is not what you do, is not how you act, is not what kind of education you have, is not how much of the Bible you know. It comes from one fact alone, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he has done for you makes you equipped for good works. And who you are, Paul talks about in Ephesians 1, says we are sons of God, predestined sons of God, we are adopted into his family, and now we are given a purpose. We are given a stake in the family business. Good works, saving souls, loving one another, helping the weak, fighting for justice, expanding the kingdom of God. This is family business. This is the good works that God has planned and purposed for us. Even before the formation of the world, that when we start to understand and realize who we are in Christ Jesus, these works the workmanship that we are starts to come alive in us. It says in First Peter 2.9, it says that we are priestly kings. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who call you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But as priestly kings, we must never lose sight of where we came from and what brought us to where we are. Because it is the source of the power for our lives. It is the power of the gospel in our lives. We are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. Beat it into your heads. It's a gift that we can never get for ourselves. But given to us through faith so that we could become what God intended for us to be. His workmanship. To do what he has purposed for us to do. I want to end with this last thought. Some of you don't know what you're doing. What you're supposed to be doing, your destiny. I don't know what I'm doing in life. I feel like that sometimes. You feel like, oh, I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know what I'm doing. Time is flying by and I'm just, I don't know what I've been doing all along. I want to encourage you to get back to the basics of the gospel. Start allowing the power of the gospel to take effect in your life. And back to what was truly done for you. And in doing so, you will come to know what you are purposed for. is good works, which he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Your heavenly purpose is not your job. Your heavenly purpose is not your career. Or even your 
your family or or uh, this is not your heavenly purpose. Right? You can be doing the work that God had intended for you, you know, as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a housewife, living here, living there, living anywhere. Because God is everywhere, right? But it all depends on re- your relationship with Christ and how you see yourself. Do you see yourself in the way that God sees yourself, that you are saved through faith in Christ alone? It's grace. You are no longer on the course of this world, but you are on the course that God has planned out for you even before he founded the earth, that you would walk in them. No matter where you are, what you're doing, God looks at you and says, I am pleased with you. Not because of what you do, because who you are in Christ. You are his workmanship. You have immeasurable value. And he calls you to walk out his workmanship, knowing that your true identity is in Christ Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And I want to encourage you guys today to continue to beat this over your head continually. Because I'm gonna, I plan on doing it. And I want to preach the gospel in every one of my sermons. Because, like I said, it's fundamental. It's essential. If we're not continually walking in the gospel, we don't have the right identity. If we're not fully understanding what the, what has been done for us, we will never understand our true value. If we don't fully understand what has been done for us, and if we don't continually see this like crashing upon us like waves upon waves, you know what? And we will never know who we are, and we will never know what we are called to do. It's it's the one thing that centers us. It's the one thing that gives us purpose. It's the one thing that says that I am in Christ Jesus. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage all of you guys today. Get back, let's get back to the gospel. Allow that truth to sink in continually into your lives because it will transform the way you live. It will transform the way you think and it will transform the way that you see yourself and the way that you see God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gift, the amazing gift that we are saved through grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus, that it is a gift from you. It has nothing to do with what we do, but it has everything to do with what you have done. And from that place, you give us an eternal purpose. From that place, you tell us that we are meant for good works, that whether we're a doctor, whether we're a taxi cab driver, whether we're an Uber driver, whether we're a teacher, whether we're a lawyer, whether we're a housewife, whether we're a pastor, whether we're a student, it doesn't matter what we're doing, that the gospel of Jesus Christ declares that we are in Christ, that we were made, we are his workmanship. We are your workmanship to do the good works that you have predestined for us, to live our lives according to your will the fruitfulness that flows from our lives as we follow you. God, may we know and understand that we are no longer in the path of this world. We are no longer on the course of this world, but we are on the course that you have set us 
our Lord. Help us to continue to set our eyes before you, continue to set our eyes before the Word of God, and to know that we are in Christ Jesus, redeemed and saved for the purposes of your good works. We thank you. We love you. May this truth continually be pounded into our heads. May we never lose sight of this truth. May we never lose sight of the amazing things, the amazing gifts, the amazingness of the gospel in our lives. And may this truth transform us and change us, sharpen us and hone us and form us into the image of Christ Jesus. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up.